Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and today you are in for a treat. As I have on the podcast, a 1990 graduate of Cedarville University who has achieved great success in her life, but her greatest is being known as a follower of Jesus Christ and, and heralded as a guardian angel to Richard in East Los Angeles, California. I'll explain more on the program. Jody Lee Patterson is an Australian designer, artist, author, journalist, singer, songwriter. She is currently the owner of Jody Lee Studio in Los Angeles and was a guest earlier this year on the 700 Club for which I learned her story. I'm looking forward to telling this story with Jody. So let me welcome Jody Lee to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Great to have you. Thank you, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. This is such an honor. I absolutely love Cedarville. It's like a second home to me. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And so, as I said, I recently heard your story with Richard on the 700 Club, and I look forward to sharing that with our listeners. But before we get there, I'm interested in knowing how did a young person from Australia hear about Cedarville University and then decide to come and earn a Bible certificate? Yes. Well, the church I grew up in was started by an American missionary with the uh, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And her name um, was Sophie and her husband's name was Frank Janista. And actually, you know, she's the mother of Frank Janista, who used to work at Cedarville. Um, And they started that church in about 1975. And I grew up in that church. And so we had a long association with... um, you know, ministry teams coming from Cedarville College, as it was called at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we grew up, I grew up with them um, staying in our home and it would look forward to it every year. And I just had a dream of one day, you know, going to the States and, and going there as, a, you know, as a, a young college student. And so I decided to do that. I did a year of Bible. Um, I really felt that, you know, when I left uh, high school, it was I just really wanted to dedicate a year of my life to studying God's word before I went out and, you know, chose a career. And so I felt that was really instrumental, really important. And I just had an amazing time there. I just absolutely loved it. In talking with Jeff Bestie during the preparation of the program, you know, he mentioned that he thought maybe the, the Cedarville Singers came to to your area, uh, and that's that's an introduction to the university. Was that accurate? That's right. Yep, that's it. The teams would come, and they would do a tour of all the sister churches okay. in Sydney, Australia, and, um, you know, we could not wait every year for them to come. They were so, uh, they just brought such a blessing to us, and, you know, they stayed in our homes, the team members, yeah. and I just, I had a dream of, you know, growing up and doing the same thing. And so when I ended up at Cedarville, um, one of the first things I did was join the Swordbearers team. Jim, actually, Jim Cato invited me. And, um, you know, it was just an amazing experience of my life for that year that I was there touring and singing with the team. And, you know, I'll never forget it. Lots of fun memories. Well, share with me one of those memories that uh, from years back that... Uh of you singing with the sword bearers. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, lots of memories. And um, 
I contacted some of my team members on Facebook this morning just to make sure I got some of the details right because <laughs> it was 30 years ago. But uh, I'd say one of them was we, we were in Florida on a, um, a summer tour and we parked on the side of the road with the bus, you know, the tour bus. And um, one of the, um, the things in Florida is you never do that because it's sand, right? And so we sunk. The, the, the bus suck in, sunk into the sand. Oh, no. And it took us four hours. And I'll never forget watching all the, the guys on the team just trying to dig out the van, you know, and it's sinking further and further into the sand. And us girls are just standing around feeling rather useless, but, you know, kind of laughing at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, another time was we had to stay in a, a barn loft, all of us girls, and there was a wasp nest in the barn loft. And so we're trying to sleep with these wasps in there. And it was quite interesting. We were kind of freaking out, but we just had so much fun. And um, it was just, you know, such an impactful time in my life. And I, I'll never forget it. I'm still very close friends with everyone on that team today. And we often reminisce about all the fun memories yeah. that we had. Yeah. You know, I hear that a lot, that Students come here and they may not know anyone when they're a freshman, but they leave with friends for life. Even in one year for you at Cedarville, you develop yeah. strong relationships, right? Oh, yes. Yes. I'm friends with these people today. In fact, on that tour, you know, um, myself and another Swordbearer team member, we led a young woman to the Lord, a girl at the time, and I'm still in contact with her every day. And she thanks me constantly. We we met her at a Bible camp and um, she came up to us and said, you know, how do I give my life to Jesus? I really need the Lord. We led it to the Lord. And my friend and I um, from Bible college, we ministered to her for the next 30 years and we're still very close friends today. Unfortunately, my friend passed on and went to be with Jesus. But that ministry that, that we did, even five weeks, in you know, on a, a singing co a college singing team has lasted th through till today. Such great memories and such a an instrumental time in my life mm -hmm. that really did help you know pave the way for me being so excited about ministry. You know, for yeah. the next thirty years. Yeah, and that's where that's where I want to go. I want to pivot into that aspect of of your ministry and one ministry specifically. But how many times do we discard people? who don't look like us. Is that what we should be doing as followers of Jesus? And I asked that again rhetorically because that's the opposite of what you did, Jody, recently in East Los Angeles when you saw a young person, his name was Richard, uh, walking uh. aimlessly in need of help. Why did you stop your car and talk with Richard? You know, I think our hearts should really be, as Christians, um, be broken with what breaks the heart of God. And if we just you know, I really believe that if we really look at Jesus' ministry to the down and outs, the the marginalized, the untouchables, that's what he was all about. I might just say this, in, you know, years ago, I was the first um, boyfriend I had that, um, you know, when I was very young, we were walking through a park and there was a drunk guy just there, a homeless man. And he, I'll never forget, he said, I, I just said, oh man, my heart goes out to him. Please, Lord, help him. And he said, oh, he's put himself there. That's his yeah. fault. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the attitude that we often, we're all guilty of. We yeah. think, well, you know, you put yourself there through a set of bad choices. But that's actually not the case. 
in my experience, a, a lot of the time, I believe we are all one step away from being homeless. Yeah. Now that might sound severe, but you know, not all of these people are there because of um, drug addiction, a lot through mental health issues, and it's not always their fault. One quick example, I met a lady I'm dealing with right now. I'll call her Sarah just to keep her name private, but she got Lyme's disease. She was a professional photographer. She had normal life. She got Lyme's disease. It went to her brain, which developed a schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, unmedicated, she can't live with anyone, her mother, anybody. She becomes just unmanageable because of the brain damage. So she ended up in my town on the streets. You know, she doesn't use any substances. Um, it's just that she needs mental health help. That's one small example. Yeah. But, you know, I think we shouldn't walk past these people, maybe in cities, you know, there's a lot, we feel overwhelmed. I don't, I don't say hi to every homeless person that I see, but in my town, locally, yeah. when I see someone and the Lord tells me, help them, yeah. then I go out of my way. And yes, I do feel uncomfortable sometimes. But I obey that voice because the Lord has put it in my heart, yeah. you know, um, to do that. We just need to listen to the voice of the Lord mm. and not be judgmental, not immediately fall into that mode of, oh, well, you put yourself there, you right. know, through a set of bad choices. It's not always the case. Yeah, no, it's not. And I know I grew up thinking that, that, you know, they made a bad choice or multiple choices, but really it's not the case. But um, as, mm. I, as I think about your story and Richard's specifically, you know, I, I learned mm. that the Lord told you to stop your car and, and reach out to Richard and talk to him. And what I didn't mention in the introduction was that you previously were an ABC TV uh, correspondent in Sydney, Australia. And, and being a former journalist myself, I understand the importance in of conducting solid research for your news stories. Did, did your experience in TV news help you uncover the true story behind what was going on with Richard? So um, I did work in media in Australia. I, I wasn't actually a correspondent. I was um, in production, but oh, okay. I also was working uh, as a state correspondent at a national Aboriginal newspaper That's where I was it. doing a lot of stories about families getting back together and reconciliation, people finding their families. And look, to be honest, my own father, his father was, my grandfather was a, uh, a vagrant in the streets for 40 years. And we didn't know that. We didn't even know he was alive. We were told he was dead. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, we found him. And I saw my father meet his own father for the first time when he was 40. And that had a, a, a very big impact on my life. Mm. And, you know, I, what I took from that is that there are miracles that happen every day when people pray. And, you know, um, back to, you know, my journalism experience, um, I've always worked uh, for the last 30 years since I left Cedarville on the side, I've always worked uh, with homeless people in some capacity or other sure. and marginalized people. You know, some people have drug addictions and that kind of thing. And I, that's been my ministry that I've been drawn to. But um, I started to recently realize that the system here is so broken that there's a lot more I can do on an individual level as a journalist, knowing, you know, with research tools. And I'm just accessing basic public information. 
to help the people that I'm working with that nobody else is doing. Nobody else is, uh, you know, looking into doing a bit of a deeper dive into the research on who is this person and why are they here and who are their family and how can I reconnect them? Because the opposite of addiction is connection. And so if we can connect people back to their family, that's why I started thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the research on these people. And it's actually worked. The last three people I've worked with, I've found their families. And this is in the last year. And I'm reconnecting them. And they are slowly coming back to healing and restoration. Mm. So I, I have been using my journalism skills to do that, to access very uh, basic information that yeah. anyone can access, really, like background checks, sure. uh, Facebook pages, you'd build, you know, and it's really, really, I think I've seen great success in that, whereas people that are trying to help homeless in the system, like the police and the hospitals, they can't do it. They just don't have that, they don't have the time to do it, and they don't, haven't even thought about doing it. Right. A lot of them, so. Now, you know, you've said it a couple of times, you used the word marginalized people. When I, when I think of that, and I say this, aren't we all marginalized people in the, in God's economy? Because without God's grace and mercy, yeah. we're, we're marginalized. Exactly. You know? So we need, isn't that, I mean, that's what drives you to do what you do, right? Exactly. I'm seeking restoration for these people that they're restored back to their creator. I really think that is the number one answer to healing. Um, it's, you know, government programs, we have a broken government and a broken system, broken right. systems within that government that that doesn't work. Taking a broken system, hmm. trying to heal broken people, that does not work. So, yes, it is the power of God that brings restoration to people. And the image of God is in everybody. And when hmm. I talk to someone, I don't look down on them. I see them as the miracle that they are about to become after I've been praying for them and I've started working with them. And I know that in every case, when I talk to somebody, God has led me to talk to them because their family have been praying. In 100% of cases, I find out later that their family were praying for them. And so I just come along as the the instrument of God's love, trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm answering these prayers that I know their family are praying for them. Yeah. Yeah, the word marginalized, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to call. You know, I think, I think we're all God's children. Um, we all have the image of God Absolutely. and we need restoration to God, whether it's homeless or, you know, marginalized or untouched, you know, pe- untouchable. Other people in regular society don't want to have anything to do with. Right. We need to understand these are just regular people. They're not in a different category. They're not in the twilight zone. They are, we are all one step away Absolutely. from being, Absolutely. you know, in that position. Yep. So in, Jody, in, in your interview with CBN News, you mentioned that you could tell Richard had been st- on the streets for a long time. What were some of the signs that you saw that led you to this understanding? Well, you have the obvious signs, like very dirty, hasn't had a shower. You could tell, you know, the hair is just very matted and... Mm. The hands are, there's a buildup of dirt and skin issues that start happening, you know, when people don't have the opportunity to have a shower like we all do. And there's the the tiredness. They haven't slept. 
you can see that that a lot of the mental health comes stems from just not getting a good night's sleep. Because when you're sleeping behind a building and there's trucks coming into that building, you're woken up and you, you know you just can't get restful sleep. So there's a lot of signs there. Um, but you know it does take a little bit of. I mean, I've been working with street people on the street for 30 years, so I've learned to read the signs on whether there's a drug addiction involved, mm -hmm. and that is a lot harder to deal with. And, you know, I don't always take that on. That needs professional help. But I just sensed with Richard that um, there was more to it, that it wasn't just about drug addiction, right. but he had very thin clothes. It was winter. He could hardly walk. He had a leg injury. And you could just see that he was he was going to die. Uh, Jody, did did you ever feel unsafe? Because you ultimately took Richard to a hotel so he could have shelter, get a shower. Did you ever feel unsafe as you were doing all that? Yeah, um, you know I can laugh about that with his family now. He's a very sweet person, but obviously you're not going to be, you know, doing anything that's dangerous. But there is a level of danger and uncertainty. Sure. But I tell you, when the Lord tells you to do something, you do it. You know, there's certain things you do get uh, read into from working with homeless people after a while. You can tell if you're going to be safe or not. Um, I called my daughter and we laugh about it now because she said, mom, where are you? Hmm. I said, uh, I'm just taking a homeless person to a hotel. <laughs> and she thought, I'm never going to see my mom again. She was so worried. And I said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. But I did call on a male Christian friend and asked him to come with me on that ride. That wasn't actually talked about in the story. Uh -huh. I said, would you please come with me as we take Richard? You know, I had to explain and they were like, oh, here goes Jody again. <laughs> but, you know, they trusted that I knew that it was going to be a safe situation. I came back the next morning. Richard was all cleaned up because I wasn't going to take him to the hospital dirty. Right. You know, and I need to see too that he wants to be helped. And I came back and he said, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Mm, and yeah. so, you know, it was just, I just knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Was there risk involved? Yes, yes, there was. But I did take my precautions and I got somebody, a friend that I respected to come along with me. Okay. That's, that's why. So it's really interesting. You know, obviously you reached out to Richard first, but very quickly, he trusted you that he could reach out to you as well. And that's, that's remarkable, isn't it? For someone who's been on the street that long. Yeah, well, that's how, I mean, look, when I was in journalism, you know, I wasn't a fantastic writer, but my boss said to me, you know, you're not the best writer we've had, but I tell you, one thing you can do is you get people's trust within seconds. How do you do it? I don't know how you do it. Mm. And the other day I was talking to a policeman. He said, how do you even get these people's names? As policemen, they won't tell us their name. Well, the answer to that is easy. You just be genuine. You maybe you, you just treat them as as if, you know, you're a friend, and not in a patronizing way. Not right. like, well, here now, you know, can I can I help you? You know, boy, can I help you? It's like you you come up and you say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day been? Yeah. You know, is there anything I can do for you? And and then you start to you might even tell a little bit about yourself. Well, my name's Jody. Um, you know, I, I see that you're hungry. Can I and Denny's was right there. Can I, can I take you to get something to eat? You know, um, at the same time I'm gauging that he's not gonna be a danger to me. He's he wasn't high on drugs, I could tell that. 
Okay. Um, that does take some, you know, a little bit of skill in telling that sometimes. I could tell there were some psychological issues, but I just felt the Lord telling me, you're not going to be in danger. Uh, mind you, when we sat down and we were eating, they brought a great big steak knife. And when he wasn't looking, I took that knife off the table <laughs> <laughs> and put it to the side. And we laughed about it later. But, you know, um, you have to be careful. But it's opening up to them and just, you know, I let him talk first. I let him start to tell me some stories. He had a rock collection that mm. he collected of things he'd picked up on his travel. And each one was so precious to him. And I said, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful stone. And I said, the other people would see these as not valuable, but to you, they're very valuable. I want to tell you, God sees you like that today. Mm. Did you know that? That God sent me here to tell you that he loves you and he's looking out for you. You know, so I started to talk to people like this and they just open up. And all I'm telling you, all I need is a first name and sometimes the last name, and then I'm off and away. And I, I can find them on Facebook. People, everyone has a former life, and you can find them on, you know, public domain background checks, you know, basic information, and just shine them that you care, that you genuinely care, because people can pick up when you're being fake. Yeah. So during this process of helping Richard, you met some opposition from doctors, from police, because it was really, at least in their perspective, it was really unusual for someone like yourself to be helping someone like Richard. When that was happening, when you were seeing that unfold, how did you respond? You know, I had to be very patient. And that's actually where, you know, as a Christian, I had to practice patience and love because I, I got angry at them. Yeah. The one doctor thought I was a... Um, a trafficker, a human trafficker, mm. and he, he could not understand why I had brought Richard in to the hospital and who I was. And he interrogated us both. He took us both aside and said, you know, well, who are you? And then he said to Richard, who is she? And Richard said, she's just a friend trying to help me. And I said, well, I'm a friend trying to help him. But he still couldn't believe it. He thought that I was, and he actually wrote it down in his notes, I'm very suspicious about this woman, and that is why I'm keeping Richard for observation overnight. Well, God worked that to his glory anyway, because Richard needed a place to stay. <laughs> but yeah, at every point I faced opposition. Um, I just relied on um, the goodness of people that, you know, were there, the people that were not cooperating. Um, I let them know that they needed to cooperate. I tried to practice loving kindness. That's where I was losing my patience a bit. Yeah. But but you held it together. the system's very broken. Yeah, yeah the system's yeah. very, very broken, uh, not just in Los Angeles, but all over the country, all over the world. So you got his, you knew his first name was Richard. You got his last name. So then you, then you did your investigative work, your TV journalism, your print journalism work kicked into gear, and you were able to call his sister, Erica. How did she respond to your phone call? Well, the first thing I really wanted to know, because I could, you know, I, this whole time I'm ministering to Richard, I was literally obsessed with helping him. It was like the Holy Spirit would not let me stop thinking about how to reconnect him, how to help him. You know, I'd go home, I'd be having a shower. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I knew that was the voice of the Lord. So the first thing I wanted to know from her, I was very curious. I said, can I just ask you? Have you been praying for him? 
<laughs> and and that's when the floodwaters broke. She just said, oh, oh my goodness, Jody, my church, she said, I'm a believer. Me and my church have been praying for him nonstop for four months. And <laughs> that's where I always cry in the story, but I'm not going to cry now. But it brings tears to my eyes because that is how God works. He, you know, somebody prays, he answers that prayer and he answers it through, you know, other believers that are listening to the voice of God. And I just knew when she said that, you know, I was the answer to that prayer. And, you know, I'm not taking any credit for that, but this can happen. And this is just one miracle. Uh, I could tell you 10 more that have happened since that you wouldn't even believe, you know, where a mother um, is in a hospital last week. She hasn't seen her homeless son for four years. She prays. Somehow, I'm driving down the street. God tells me, go and talk to that homeless guy. I turn my car around. I say, hi, what's your name? I have a conversation. I, find, I go home. I find out. I talk to his sister on Facebook because I find out who he is. And his sister says, oh, my goodness, his mother's in the hospital right now. I said, are you kidding me? That must be why God wanted me to meet him. So me and my um, friend, we took him to the hospital. He got to see his mother for the first time in years. And I know for a fact that she must have been praying. And how in the world can stuff like that happen except to ha- that we have a God orchestrating the whole thing? As you think back to the Richard story and, and the many other ones that, that you've been used by the Lord to connect with, and how does this embolden your faith in Christ and your gratitude to Jesus for how he uses you on a daily basis? Uh, it's, it's absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt shown me that there is a God. We have a creator. If anyone has any doubt, you know, sometimes as believers, you know, yeah. sometimes you think, is it all real? No, there is a God. None of these situations can work out without him. And it shows me that he cares to the minute detail, you know, and it's also helped me in my personal life because, you know, um, like a lot of people, you know, we all have our own personal things we struggle with. I struggle with depression sometimes. I struggle with, and I think Satan brings that on me because he's trying to make me ineffective. I pray it off in Jesus' name. But, you know, I I realize that... um, God, if he intimately cares about people that nobody else cares about, who may have made some mistakes, maybe they haven't, they're just there, you know, he cares about me as well. And it's, it's helped me in, in my own life personally, but it's also, it's given me the faith, actually. I never really, I mean, I've always known he answers prayer. My own mother left when I was six and my dad yeah. and I, prayed for seven years for her to come back and their relationship to be restored. And that prayer was answered. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of prayer in my uh, prayers answered in my life. And it, 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 you know, but we always doubt that God's going to answer some, for some reason. He says, if we pray believing, he will answer. It may not always be in the way in which we expect, but he does. He does. And I, I see it every single day. That is that is great to hear, and I want to encourage our listeners uh, as you think about it. Pray for for Jody because she is uh, the hands and feet of Jesus out in East Los Angeles, Los Angeles, wherever you are. And uh, this is a great testimony to how He is using you. So I encourage our listeners to pray for you as 
as your name comes to mind. And as we near the end of the program, um, I'm curious, have you been able to continue the relationship with Richard and his family since uh, you reconnected them? Oh, yes, for sure. And that's something that I really wanted to do. You know, why would you save somebody's life and then just drop them and not see them again? That would be fake. So I go every week or every second week and I go with, um, you know, a male friend and um, so that I'm always with someone and we pick up Richard, we take him to eat. Uh, last week, you know, I took him to Target just to get a birthday present for him and some clothes. And um, then we got a, a an easel and a canvas. And we went to a national forest and we set it up mm. and we watched him paint. I said, we're going to paint. And so we do things with him each week just to get him out of the house. Um, he has gotten so well now on the medications he's on. He's not hearing voices anymore. He's not um, laughing and doing things that, you you know, come along with schizophrenia. He's almost fully healed on these medications. So now I'm working with the family to help him get into some kind of work program. We're working with the family and his sister to get them into a better, um, they live in housing, yeah. um, government housing. We're working to get them to a better city. They're in Pomona. There's a lot of crime. I, I'm working with the family to help better their situation. Right. And I continue to minister to Richard and create that relationship. And as far as I'm concerned, he's family now, Yeah, you know, and he loves the Lord and his family are actually Christians as well. I do continue to minister to them. And if there's a time that I have to move out of the country and I can't, I will put someone, you know, in my place to do that. Right. I think it's really, the follow-up is very, very important. Yeah. That's, I'm so inspired by your story. And just how faithful you have been uh, to Richard and others. Um, I'm just curious, going back to Richard's story, how did he get disconnected with his family or from his family? Yeah, he, you know, um, from a young child, something happened to him where his mother was um, a pill addict and he, as a very young boy, overdosed on her pills that were lying around. Mm -hmm. He got a brain injury and his mother never took him to the hospital. Um, and I believe that's the story. Um, I don't know exactly the details, but you know, it, it set him as like a, a 10 or a 12 year old and he'd never really fully, fully developed okay. into a man. So he one night, um, you know, and he was on medications, um, but he, they ran out of medications, um, which is often the case, you know, um, and it's hard to get them sometimes, you know, it's, it's not easy. So he ran out and he just decided to go for a walk one night and he genuinely got lost and he just went for a walk without shoes and just in shorts. And, you know, that's his story. He said, I, I meant to come back. I just didn't know where I was. Oh. And I got lost yeah. in the middle of Pomona, which is a very dangerous city. And he just kept walking and he didn't know where to go. So he ends up, you know, um, my out in my town, which is like 15, 20 miles away, he says he thinks he got a bus, he can't remember, it was vague, you know. Mm. And so he's lost and he has no phone. He doesn't know what to do. And immediately everyone assumes he's a drug addict and uh, a homeless person yeah. and nobody helps him. Yeah. Well, you did. and So, yeah. yeah. And the police had even picked him up. Really? Police had picked him up twice and dropped him at the hospital, didn't check that he was on a homeless person's list, left him at the hospital. So this is how these things happen, yeah. you know, 
Good luck if someone goes missing and you ask the police to help you. You better start praying. Prayer is the only thing that's going to save people. Prayer is the only answer. You know? So, yeah, so that's how that happened. And his family would, were really panicking and devastated, sure. as you would be. Yeah. You know, and that can happen to elderly people. Absolutely. It can happen to disabled people. Absolutely. So we should never assume that someone on the street is there because of a drug addict, a drug addiction, or they put themselves there. Not always the case. That's right. Hey, we are out of time, but I want to give you the final word. Uh, So to all our listeners here in the United States and worldwide, what encouragement can you leave with them as they go about their daily life? Serving Jesus. What, what's the encouraging word from Jody? Well, I want people to start noticing the, the homeless people in your town and start praying for them and start a conversation. If you see someone regularly and you're ignoring them regularly, don't do that anymore. Mm. Just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Can I get you a bottle of water? Start a conversation and then perhaps get involved in your local soup kitchen or your, you know, your church ministry. Yeah. If, if that's the, the way you feel you want to get involved, but, but at least pray for these people because the homeless are becoming, you know, very prolific right now, especially in America. Start caring. If you really have the Holy Spirit, your heart needs to be broken with the things that break the heart of God. So, you know, repent if you have had that attitude towards homeless and start asking God to see, help you see them as he sees them. That's a good start, I think. Yeah, thank you, Jody, for uh, being transparent on on this podcast and sharing your story. And uh, let's pray for Jody as we uh, think of her, as her name comes to mind. And for now, Jody, I appreciate you joining me on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thanks. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.